This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and I am answering Rudra's questions. And today I have two questions actually from Kim. So the first question is, she says, Annie, I'm 83 days alcohol-free thanks to you. And for the last few days, I've been having cravings again and again that are really strong and almost constant. I feel like I'm back on day one. Any advice of what to do with the feelings when they come on? I don't want to go back to eating chocolate. Well, first of all, um, awesome. Amazing job to get to 83 days. And that's just absolutely great. And I would really try to pinpoint what thought is happening right before those cravings because they're not really physical anymore. So those cravings are certainly psychological in nature. And I wonder if it's something different in your environment or some sort of stress that's happening in your life, something that is just sort of that you may have reached for alcohol before that you haven't navigated yet. The first year I think is really full of a lot of those ups and downs because you can be like smooth sailing, everything's going great, no problem whatsoever. And then all of a sudden you get into a place where boom, craving and you're in a really, really intense spot. And that can often happen because you're navigating things that you have not previously navigated before. And so you can feel like, oh, okay, what's what's this? What's happening now? And the tendency is like, oh, I'm back at day one, beat myself up. Oh my gosh, this is all going horrible. My best advice is to never expect it to be like sunshine and roses. Just expect that these things are going to come on and then you won't be so frustrated when they do. So just have that kind of expectation that, yeah, different things might trigger different cravings. I mean, that's just kind of reality. That's just how life is and it can happen. And so if you can start to identify the thought or the circumstance right before that, then you can do some work on that. I highly suggest the ACT technique, which is the technique that I put in the alcohol experiment. Really, really useful for that. Um, I would also say though, in terms of how it feels in the body, a craving gets really brutal when we try to resist it. When we try to say, nope, not going to think about it. Nope, I'm not going to think about it. Or I'm going to set a timer and I'm just going to, you know, white knuckle it for the next 15 minutes because then it's going to pass, but I'm just going to look at the watch and, and you really go into this resistance mode. But when you really go into what they, you know, talk about with surfing the urge, is acceptance mode and watching mode. And so you almost say, okay, Annie is having a craving, but Annie is also gonna watch exactly how that craving feels. And the best way I know to get from resistance into acceptance is through curiosity. Start to get really curious. Okay, what does a craving feel like in my body? How do my hands feel? Are they like a little clammier than normal, a little sweatier than normal? How does my heart feel? Does it feel like it's beating a little bit faster? What are the thoughts going through my head that are telling me, oh my gosh, if you don't go pour that drink, you know, something bad's going to happen or it's just going to be the end of the world or how are you ever going to live your life like this with this much discomfort? You know, really just say, huh, what are those thoughts? I'm going to get really curious about that. How does it feel in my stomach? Is it clenching a little bit? How do I feel in my shoulders? Are they tightening up? How am I interacting with other people? Curiosity is literally the antidote to resistance and acceptance is the antidote to cravings because when you accept them, then yeah, they're still not comfortable, but you're not in the danger of, you know, pushing so directly against it that you feel like it's going to explode. My kids and I were in a hot tub 
a few months ago and some other kids in the hot tub had brought balloons and they were blowing up balloons and they were putting them under the water and trying to keep them under the water. And <laughs> you could like keep it, they'd be like, try to keep it with one hand or what toe. But as soon as they let off that resistance, the balloon would pop up above the water, of course, because it's being held under the water through resistance, through counter pressure. And that's what you're doing with your craving. You're pushing it away through some counter pressure, through some resistance. And when you do that, you really increase that it's going to kind of come up later. So the best way to deal with cravings is absolutely acceptance. And then once you feel like you're accepting it, they really, they're not still fun, but they really start to lessen. And the way to accept is again through curiosity. So that's just so good. And then Kim also had a second question. She says, I believe one of the reasons I drank was because I'm a people pleaser. I think it all stemmed from my childhood. I remember watching my parents' faces a lot, so I would know what kind of mood they were in. If they were in a bad mood, I always thought it must have been something that I did. Fast forward to school, and then it was the teachers' faces. Then it was work with coworkers and bosses. Drinking made me not think about these things. I've heard that people pleasing is narcissistic, and I can now see why. My question is, do you have any advice about not people pleasing anymore and how to deal with people who were so uh, how to deal with people who are so used to you being a yes person so there's a few pieces i have lots to say about people pleasing first of all people pleasing absolutely is never a gift like it's never a gift to you specifically but it's also never a gift to the people that you please because you create false expectations about what you will and you won't do people pleasing is also by definition pleasing or doing something for somebody else that you don't really necessarily want to do. If you really genuinely, let's say somebody came and was like, uh, your mom asked you to do the dishes and you really didn't want to do the dishes. You had no time to do the dishes. You had all this homework to do, whatever the case was when you were a kid, but you were such a people pleaser that you're like, oh, I can never disappoint my mom. So I'll do the dishes and I'll just sit here doing them and have all this resentful thinking. Or even better example, say that you have somebody who invites you out to lunch and you just really don't like hanging out with that person, but you do not want to disappoint them. So you say, okay, I'm going to go to lunch because I can't handle the thought of me disappointing them. Number one, that's all about their perception of you and you not having the courage to sit up and say, hey, I am who I am. <laughs> and you know, I have other plans today or whatever the case is. That's not comfortable in the moment. People pleasing isn't comfortable for you as you do whatever it is that you're doing to please the other pe person. Also, People-pleasing is literally then lying because you're saying, yeah, no problem. I'm happy to go to lunch with you, but you're not. It's not true. It's not genuine. And so it's so easy to see why people-pleasing would increase drinking because if you're lying um, and you're creating that inner conflict in yourself because you're doing stuff for other people in order to please them that you don't actually want to do, it creates all sorts of inner conflict, all sorts of negative emotions, all sorts of toxicity, and all of that stuff says, oh, stress, stress, stress. Then our alcohol comes into the picture. We learn that alcohol is good for, quote, stress. And you can see how the spiral can, you know, really go out of control. But I think that here's the key, is that understanding that it's never a good long-term thing. It never is a good long-term thing because you have really two choices with people-pleasing. When you are looking at somebody and they ask you to do something that you don't want to do or they invite you somewhere you don't want to go, and you have the choice of saying yes, pleasing them in the moment, and then resenting them later, or the choice of saying no, feeling a little bit of guilt in the moment, and then resenting them later, and then having no resentment later, I'm sorry. So you can say yes, 
have resentment later because you're showing up and you're doing the thing you didn't want to do anyway. Or you can say no and you can have guilt because you feel a little guilt because the people pleaser in you is going to go, oh gosh, I said no. I'm, I'm not used to saying no. I don't know how to say no. And you feel guilty. Now I want to ask you, which of those two emotions will destroy a relationship? Is it guilt or is it resentment? And I am pretty certain that guilt, a little bit of guilt here and there, is not going to destroy a relationship. But when you resent somebody, that is literally the opposite of actually pleasing them. Because when you resent somebody, you cannot love them <laughs> because you're so resentful and you're so judgmental. And resentment will absolutely destroy a relationship. So any relationship where you're saying yes to make yourself look good in the moment and to avoid that short-term pain of guilt, but then resenting them later, you're literally destroying that relationship. And that is not a gift to you and that is not a gift to them. And your last part of that question is, how do you deal with people who are so used to being you being a yes person? It's not gonna be easy. <laughs> it's gonna take some courage. It's gonna take some grit and you're gonna feel some guilt. But you have to create that, you know, you have to create that ability to really be true to yourself. Practice makes perfect. Get reps in. Find really graceful ways to say no. And, um, and just deal with the fallout. Because trust me that the fallout of a little bit of guilt is so much better than the fallout of a heck lot of resentment. So anyway, I hope that helps. Great questions, Kim. And good to see everyone. And I hope you have a great day. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.